It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. It's another episode of Frontline Friday with my special and regular guest, or is it regular and special guest, Bridget Gleason. Bridget, how are you? How about just special, special? Special, special. We'll just we do can special, do that. special guest. <laughs> Let's do Instead, special, special. Let's do special, special. Yeah. Special, special guest. Good we've, morning. we've promoted you. We've promoted you from the I regular and special Thank guest you. to the I'm, special, I'm, special guest. I like it. I'm, I'm ready for the promotion. Yeah, I think after, I think this is maybe our 26th or 27th episode oh, of Frontline Friday. I know it's gone by in a flash that you deserve the promotion. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> so I thought today we would uh, talk about how to sell to the C-suite. Okay. Because there's a lot written about that that's that's been out there forever, right? And so the first thing that I always find amusing is that there's this assumption in all cases that you actually want to sell to the C-suite. And, you know, that's really not the case. Yeah, that's a good point, Andy. Um, again, you hear all of this, start high, start in the sales process high. And so people assume, and I believe also wrongfully so, that high means as high as you can get. And it doesn't always mean as high as you can get, which, as, as you bring up, it isn't always necessary to go straight to the C-suite. Sometimes it is, but it's not always necessary. Well, yeah. And so I've, I've written about this in the past is that products and services fall into one of two categories. They're either strategic or they're tactical. And strategic are products that either through cost, you know, the, the, the price associated with the cost to the, to the buyer, the, uh, the complexity, the actual overall impact it would have on the, the business itself. You know, there are very few of those that companies actually buy. You know, the, if you look at a average $10 million a year company or $20 million a year company or $100 million, we keep on going up the scale. But you look at everything the company buys over the course of a year, how many of the purchases actually fall into the category of being strategic? And my, my belief is, and just having done some research into it and looked at it, but nothing hugely scientific, but is that yeah, but certainly... 90% at a minimum of the products and services a company buys every year are tactical products. It's, it's, it's paper. It's, it's, you know, paper yeah. clips, it's desks. It could be furniture. It could, you know, just look at those things. And even if you're a manufacturer and you've got, um, you know, components you're buying to, to buy into to manufacture your product. You know, tactical products, the CEO is not approving all those, except maybe in the smallest of companies where the CEO is managing the cash flow uh, still. But, you know, once you get a certain size, is, is why would you sell to the CEO? Yeah, I think also, it just as you were talking, um, the strategic versus tactical, people shouldn't feel badly also if they sell a tactical solution. You know, I, I think salespeople feel like they need to talk about it as being strategic. 
it doesn't always, it doesn't need to be strategic to be important and it doesn't need to be strategic to be valuable. It can still fit into um, the strategic priorities of a company. So it still has to fit into sort of what is strategic for the organization, but the strategic is made up of a lot of different tactical pieces and those tactical pieces are really important. And so I don't want salespeople to feel like, oh, my product isn't strategic, therefore it isn't important or it isn't valuable or it isn't. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. It's 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 just that so much of the literature seems to be is written about sales seems to be targeted at you know, the complex product that you necessarily do sell up into ultimately a decision is made or approval is given at the highest levels of an organization. But I said 90% plus of what a company buys, the average company buys don't rise to that level. And, yeah. and, and there's a real danger for sales reps of what I'm doing, what I call overselling. You know, I, I call it sort of the decision gap, right? If you fall, if you fall into this gap between where the decision is actually made versus where you've been told it needs to be made, that can create real problems. I mean, I, I had a example of a client where there was a, a particular manufactured a, a tech product and there was a particular component supplier that really, really, really wanted to, to see the CEO of the company. And the decisions for components are always made at the manufacturing engineering level and at the you know, engineering level, the source source engineering and so on. And, and um, this guy was really insistent. And this was a technical CEO. Hmm. And so finally, one of the guys in engineering relents and says, okay, you can you can come see the CEO. And the CEO goes, um, why, why am I dealing with this? And the engineer right. says, well, you know, this guy really insisted that he needed to sell to the CEO. The CEO goes, well, you know, it's not really, I don't really need to be involved. But now that you've asked my opinion, and that supplier ended up losing the business because the CEO, who hadn't been involved in it at all, who was technical, looked at it and said, well, yeah, I think there's better solutions out there. And this guy just shot himself in the foot if he had just sold to the people that were making that decision, the actual decision makers, he would have been much better off. Yeah, I, I think that's a great example, Andy. And I, I think when you look at research over the last couple of years, the number of people involved in the decision is increasing. And so it's typically not a single decision maker, but there are several people involved in the decision making process. Someone on the C-suite may very well be part of that decision making process. And to your point, that doesn't mean that you need to get in front of them to sell the deal. And it doesn't mean that you need to start with them. What is important is if you do um, uncover that someone in the C-suite is involved in the decision-making process is that you, at a minimum, arm whoever it is internally with materials and reasons and documents, whatever it is, um, that speaks to whether it's a CEO, a CFO, a CTO, that you are thinking about, if I'm selling to that person, what are the things that are going to be important to them from the lens that they're looking at it? 
And it's going to be very different if it's what a CEO is going to be looking at and the level of detail that he or she needs versus, let's say, you're selling to a director of engineering. And even if the budget needs to go up and get, like we're, we're working on a deal now that we're dealing with the, um, the decision makers, the CEO ultimately needs to approve the deal. But we don't need to have that conversation as long as our internal champions and directors have the materials that they need that are going to speak to the other people that are um, influencing the deal. Yeah, and if, when if the manager, the senior CEO, as your case is, is providing the ultimate sign-off, but isn't involved in the actual sales process, yeah, that's that that actually could work against your your interest to actually insist that you get them involved in the selling process. And that's yeah, I, that's the thing that I think is really interesting that people need to be mindful of is that despite what all the, the literature may say, is that you need to be, as you talked about, you know, there are, you have to identify who those, what I call the actual decision makers. In my first book, I call this out, the ADM, the actual You have to identify who those people are. And that's really an important step in sales, right at the beginning, is who is actually making the decision. Not who's necessarily, I mean, there may be an approval level above that. Right. But who's making that, that actual decision about which product is the one or service is the one that's going to be used. Well, and I think about in my own situation, Andy, that there are, I get, I get individuals uh, approaching me, email, phone calls, Twitter, whatever, LinkedIn about products and services frequently, daily. And there are a good number of them that I, I'm not the one who is going to be evaluating that's going to be looking at them. I have somebody else doing that first, first second round of evaluation, and they come to me with a, a set of recommendations and mm-hmm. maybe some context around what they, they're looking for. And so for someone to keep banging on my door and insist that they talk to me, it's it's not going to get them any. It's not going to do them any good. Sometimes it annoys me when they push too hard for it. But I, and and you imagine this going all the way up to the CEO level. I have other things that I'm thinking about, and I need to make sure that I have good um, people whom I trust that are doing these evaluations and that are coming to me with recommendations. And for the most part, I may dig in a little bit. But I'm, I'm in very few cases do I feel like, hey, let me go get on the phone with whoever it is, is that's selling. Um, I just, I don't, I don't want to get into that level of detail. And t- so again, you, you imagine this going all the way up to, you know, the C-suite and I can understand why that, that it's not, it's in most cases, it's uh, not necessary, and actually, as you pointed out in a couple of examples, it can actually, um, it, it, you know, it, it actually have a, a negative result and take you the other direction. Oh yeah, I've seen that on on more than one example, where it's you know, you get to the CEO and it's, well, I don't really need to be involved, but since you asked for my opinion, you're going to get it, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I asked. <laughs> it wasn't really that important. I mean, I, it's funny. I had one client that that I worked with that that were trying to expand their penetration into this one account. And they had this account that was doing you know, close to $300,000 a month with them. And so a recurring basis. And 
they really thought that they they needed to get this and they had multiple decision makers throughout an organization (laughs) and they thought they wanted to should at somebody thought they should try to consolidate that in one person that'd be some person at the c-suite that really had have the say over this because they really want to lock in their their business um with some sort of like instead of having 20 different purchase points within the organization they want to have one contract and when they got close to making that happen they found out that the person at the higher level said well hmm maybe we should look at other vendors now <laughs> so they've been right. doing three hundred thousand dollars of business with you know 20 different decision makers within an organization and them thinking, gosh, we need to really, the only way we can really protect our business is to make sure we get to uh, consolidate. consolidate and get it up to the C-suite. Yeah, it turned out to be a bad move. And, and you know, I got them to back away from that. That was really important. Um, and they saw that it was better to sort of stick with you know, these various touch points because these touch points were very influential. You know, it's it's interesting, Andy. I got an email yesterday and I, I just skimmed over it as I've mentioned to you, we're at our end of quarter. Just for those in the audience, whenever Andy and I have been talking over the last couple of weeks, it's the last month of our quarter, and I always tell Andy, it's we're at the end of our quarter. I'm stressed. I don't have time. So Andy's gotten used to my refrain of end of quarter. It's always something as a VP of sales. Any of those of you aspiring to it, be careful what you ask for. Yeah, really. So I got an, I got an email from someone yesterday who basic the thread of the email was it was a tool that there's a free trial. Some of the our, uh, the sales reps have been using it and trying it, and our sales ops person went and did a demo of it because it seemed like a lot of people were interested. And, you know, we're evaluating different options, and it's, again, it's our end of quarter, so mm-hmm. we're not going to make a decision right now. And I got an email from the sales rep saying, I know it's your end of quarter, but you owe me five minutes. You, you should have the courtesy to at least give me five minutes because lots of reps have been using the tool. And he, he kind of went on and on. Wait. And so he said, you owe me the courtesy of? You owe, the, you owe me the courtesy of, of, of a five-minute phone call. I know it's your end of quarter, but you can give me five minutes. And uh, needless to say, I didn't respond. Uh, but again, I'm. this is taking this vendor the other way. This is not going well. I don't know if they know that, but now now we've taken a step back. I, I'm not- Especially with I, an I've, email like that. Yeah. What could possess a sales rep to uh, well, it's, you know, address, it's, is to, is to, you know, I mean, you're vice president of that company. What would possess somebody to address the decision maker with that type of language? Yes, with, you owe me this. You owe me this. And I think, huh, you have I no owe you idea. Nothing. Yeah. You have no idea what I don't owe you. <laughs> but now I owe you even less. less right. And I can get those people off the free trial in a heartbeat. Yeah. That's what like. But again, it's, um, I guess two two pieces of it. Um, well, first of all, can I can I write your reply to him? <laughs> yes, I would love to have. Yeah, when I get around to it, I didn't yeah. even I didn't even give him the courtesy of a reply, and not that I'm I will reply to him, but it, it's not a priority for me. Well, it just made it less a priority, right? And it just it just it just got bumped down in the priority list, and so again in addressing. 
the C-suite, or let's say even at the at the VP level, there's no, I, and I, I, I've had this experience before, I don't know if you have, Andy, where it, I don't get it often, but I have received infrequently reps that feel entitled. You owe me. You, I did this amount of work. You owe me the courtesy of this. And it's interesting, Andy. I have my reps who will sometimes say to me, well, I did all this work. They, sh- they, they have to at least respond. I said, ah, they don't have to do anything. That yeah. won't get you anywhere. They don't have to do anything. This is not about you. This is not about you and the work that you put in. Yeah, and that's really interesting. That's, that's huh. I've seen it. I mean, I've seen this uh, in the past where reps have have done this, and um, yeah, it, it makes you wonder sort of what the motivation, what they think. You know, did they read something somewhere that said, you know, this is like uh, the way you send a breakup email? You know, after you've spent a certain number of 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 emails and phone calls, you know, hey, you're just this is your way of disengaging. So. I mean, if that's your if that's your version of a breakup email, it truly is a breakup email, and you know, breakup emails are meant to be sort of more lighthearted and humorous. Yeah, that's the wrong. So, if somebody thinks this is a good strategy, I guess what I'm trying to dig down onto is like that's not a good strategy, and and I suspect there are probably some people that advocate that as being a good strategy. You know, take a firm, hey, you know, my time is valuable too, type thing. But you didn't ask him to invest that time. That'd be different, no, right? I, if you had asked him to invest that time. And I haven't been involved with him. Right. Then that'd be different. And, and yeah, I have not been involved with him at all. And, and I also think, you know, maybe this notion of the challenger sale is people misunderstand what, what that really means. Or <laughs> yeah, what that, well, that could be, right. That the challenger sale is challenge when they when they tell you they don't have time and and again i was not even the one that um pushed back i hadn't i hadn't been involved at this point but i think it's also a misinterpretation of what the challenger sale is and and for those that you don't don't know and and andy feel free to chime in here sure sort of at at a very basic level the challenger sale is helping, encouraging sales reps to help a customer or prospect really see things differently at its most basic level. It's, it's, so you're, the reason for the challenge is because you're helping them to see something differently that would be of value to them. Right. Challenge their paradigm that they have in mind for the solution they're buying. Precisely. It's not, uh, Challenged by, I don't know what he was trying to intimidation <laughs> or you owe me this. And well, I, and I, so I think we can agree that that for for people do listening that. is do this is not- yeah don't do that. If it's ever occurred to you to when you're feeling you know upset and maybe understandably so at some though this is not understandable, but yeah you know, if you've invested, let's take a different scenario. Let's say you've you've engaged the customers engaged with you. And you've worked together and you've worked hard to be of service to them, to help them make a decision. And they get to a point and they sort of go radio silent, let's say. Um, yeah, you could potentially see an email somewhat along the lines what that guy sent to say, hey, you know, we've, we've, we've in both invested time in this. And, you know, let's at least spend five minutes of 
If the decision is no, let's you know, at least help me understand why, right? But even that language is a little strong, as you owe me. Well, it, yeah, that's that's right. I I think also the the feelings that we have are fine. He can if he's angry, he's entitled to be angry. For I mean, it, because our, we're we're entitled to whatever feeling we have about whatever. The expression of it, I think we. I, I watched recently. It was an interview between uh, Jeff Weiner, who's the CEO at LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and Fred Kaufman, who wrote a book called Conscious Business. And he said, Fred had said the the space between a thought and an action is consciousness. That's where we're conscious. That's where we need to be aware, and that's often where we need to pause. And so I think what I see in this this email was there wasn't a pause between a feeling that the sales rep had and, a, and an action that was taken. Because my guess is, upon further reflection, he wouldn't have sent the email if he thought about how might that be received. I don't know who would think that that would possibly have a positive outcome. Let's say, Andy, he gets me on the phone. Yeah, unless, 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 he, was like, just, unless he was just saying, screw it, right, at that point. Yeah, and it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't sound, it didn't, it, it didn't, it wasn't phrased like a breakup email. I don't think he was trying to break up. Okay. Um, so let's say I got on the phone. Am I, let's say he, he, he shamed me into taking a call with him. Um, what kind of mood am I going to be in to, to talk to him about rethinking making a decision on that product right away. And it's probably, maybe it's his end of quarter too. It's most certainly his end of month, but maybe it's his end of quarter and he was counting on, gosh, I thought we would get Sumo Logic for this. Well, yeah, and he hadn't done his work, right? So he hadn't done his work. done his work. I mean, at some point, he, he needed to have understood who the decision maker was and have engaged with the decision maker. As opposed to, well, uh, I'll send you an email at the last minute because I'm trying to make my number. And, yeah, you and, owe, think, and you owe me, by the way. And you owe me. And, and I think it also speaks to why it is helpful to get as many different people within the organization, to get to know as many people within the organization as you can. Or not, I shouldn't say that. It, it, you don't need to get as many as you can, but having a, flu- a few people who are influential, who understand what you're trying to sell, and this isn't always easy to do, but it can give you a more three-dimensional view of what's going on. I, I think this particular individual has maybe a single point of contact with someone on our sales ops team, and had he been able to broaden um, the interactions with other people in sales ops or salespeople, he could have gotten a, a, a better picture of what's going on and understood that the, 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 what he had heard that got him frustrated was, we, we're not going to make the decision right now. We're finishing out a quarter. We're evaluating some tools. Just hold tight. Had he gotten a, a, a broader view, he may have seen, just sort of in context, that they're still very well in the running, but we got a lot of stuff that we're that we're working on, um, and that may have, that may have changed 
his tone. It may not have. I'm not sure. Well, I think that what I think when I hear that is that and it reminds me of a story I included in my my most recent book, Amplify Your Sales, <laughs> is that he was he was this way because he had told his manager he was going to close this deal. And as a result, he was feeling a tremendous amount of pressure because he had no expectation for realistic expectation that the deal would close because he hadn't done his work, right? But he had committed that it was going to close. And right. it reminds me of the story, which I told in, in the book, which was based on overhearing one sentence of a conversation on a train between New York and Boston. And this, right before the train takes off from Penn Station, this guy comes in and sits on the seat right in front of me and on his phone, he's kind of agitated. And all I can hear him say is, well, the buyers were liars. And so what, what, uh, I, what I immediately... That's a great line. Right, and so what I immediately projected forward was, what the rest of the previous, the preceding part of the conversation had been, which was, you know, his boss saying, hey, you had told us this deal with, you know, Standard was going to close um, this month. Why didn't it? And, you know, the guy go through this litany of sort of increasingly defensive remarks and excuses for why it didn't. And then finally culminates with, wow, the buyers were just liars. <laughs> and I'm sure that was something similar going on oh, with I'm this sure. guy that sent you an email. He had committed to his boss that this was going to close by the end of the month. And he just hadn't, he had no expectation. He hadn't done his work. He had no reason for even putting it in his pipeline. And yet, like too many sales reps had committed that it was going to close and found himself in a bind. And the result was he got frustrated and suddenly it was your fault as opposed to his own. Yeah, and it's uh, I think it's something that sales people need to guard against that we don't we don't play the blame game and it's very easy. I mean, I, I think that's a great line. I'm I'm not going to maybe some of my sales team will hear this and I'll hear this podcast and I'll start hearing it on the floor, but because it's such a great line. <laughs> um, but that's often the case is well they told me they were going to do this. You know, they changed their mind. And more often than not, we Sometimes that it actually does happen. Things change, sure, and situations change, and conditions change. Um, it's not necessarily that they're they're uh, li- that the buyers are liars. It's just things have changed, or we hadn't done the homework, our homework, and so we had a misinterpretation exactly of of the of the events. Well, I think if you're a manager, and we'll start with a manager, and then I know we have to wrap this up really quickly, is if you're a manager and you're, you're talking to your sales rep, you know, the more vociferous they become and defensive they become about why a deal didn't close, the bottom line is they didn't do the work that they needed to have done to understood the deal. They hadn't right. talked with the people they needed to talk to. They hadn't understand the customer's buying process. You know, we go down the list of things. And if you're a rep and you find yourself being extremely defensive in a sales meeting or in a one-on-one with a manager about why a deal didn't close, catch yourself and just stop before you get too far into it. Right. Because if you're being really defensive, it's because you know you don't have the information. You just haven't done what you needed to do either to understand the deal or to make the deal happen. So just stop before you dig yourself too big of a hole and come clean and say, you're right. Yeah, I got to do a better right. job on this next time. I don't and have all the information I need. 
and help me and, and, it, and asking yeah. the manager, right. how do I get better at this? How do I get better what at this? What can I do differently next time? How do I dig in? How could I have foreseen this? That's, that's what the manager is there for, to help lead a sales rep through this process. So that's the time, if you find yourself in the situation, and also as a manager, to not just tell your sales rep, hey, do a better job next time, but actually help coach and guide them on the steps they can take so that these kinds of situations happen less frequently. Exactly. All right. Well, good. Well, that finishes Wonderful. This, this episode for today. Uh, well, thank everybody again for tuning in as they do on every Friday with uh, me and my special, special guest. Special, special. That's on your name. way to your third special. We're not sure when that will happen, but on your way to your third special, special, special guest, Bridget Gleason on this episode of Frontline Friday. And we'll look forward to talking to everyone again next Friday. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. <laughs>